look, people aren't sick of soda. They love soda. In fact, you know, people have very good memories of drinking root beer when they were younger. It's just, you know, the problem is it has too much sugar in it and it doesn't contribute anything towards your health nutritionally. So if you solve for those two issues without taking anything away from the joy and nostalgia of drinking soda, then, you know, you can kind of pull people back into the category. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with David Lester and Ben Goodwin, who are the co-founders of Olipop. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Well, hey, I want to dive in and start about your guys' founding story. What led you to launch Olipop in the first place? So I'll pick that one up. Uh, It's definitely an elongated elongated tale. I'll try to truncate it as much as possible. I've been a product developer for 15 years. And during that time, I've basically been involved with the launching of three different beverage companies. So Olipop is actually my my third, which is quite, quite a journey. And predominantly, I've actually really focused on microbiome and digestive health. So this is definitely, this is the 15-year overnight success story that is, uh, I think, you know, pre- pretty common in certain ways. But the goal has really always been to find a mass-scale vehicle to benefit microbiome and digestive health. And the driver for that is because microbiome health has such a systemic impact on overall human health. And specifically, there's this function called the brain-gut axis, which is you know, you basically produce the majority of your neurotransmitters and your microbiome. So I have been on a very long journey to try to help people get to healthier microbiomes, healthier digestive systems, better functioning kind of brain-gut dynamics, finding the vehicle to propagate that. And about eight years ago, I started working with David on our last venture. Uh, we sold that in late 2016. And then in kind of reviewing the science, I realized there were new approaches to microbiome and digestive health that weren't, that were similar to things I'd done in the past, but also meaningfully different. And that kind of became the basis for Olipop. So talk to me about the, uh, you know, once the business got going, how's it grown since launching? Yeah, it's been a, you know, as Ben said, it's been kind of a fast journey on this one, but I think, you know, we, we launched into market about two and a half years ago with Olipop. But, you know, the journey has been said sort of nearly a decade now from from when we first met. And so I think a lot of the success we're seeing now is based on the failures that we we made, you know, first time around, you know, with our first venture. And um, so, you know, as Ben talked about there, that we had this sort of interim period between Obi and Olipop. We were really thinking about, you know, what we going to do? Are we going to come back into this again? How are we going to tackle this? And and we said, look, if we're going to come back and do it again, we're only going to do it if we can do it 10 times better. So, you know, Ben went and did a lot of the research on that. And, you know, it started, we saw this kind of change in the market and some of the leadership in the science and microbiology with people switching their focus from probiotics to prebiotics and fiber as you know, the predominant way to modify for optimal digestive health. And so, you know, Ben spent those two years kind of formulating this product and 
it was interesting when we first came to market, you know, there, there was two things that, that we really got questioned on. One was, why are you doing a soda in the natural space? You know, people say, well, you know, it's a dying category. It's, um, you know, people are moving to sparkling water, they're drinking kombucha. It seems like an insane idea to, to launch a soda into the, into the natural product space. And the other thing that was pretty unknown at that point was, were prebiotics themselves. And, you know, again, we got some sideways looks from investors who had been used to seeing a lot of products with probiotic benefits, but not really anything with prebiotic at that point. So over the last kind of two and a half years, you know, as Casey sort of mentioned at the beginning that we've really had to grow this category ourselves and we grew by a thousand percent through the pandemic. A lot of that actually driven by our D2C business um, that went from under 10% of our overall revenue to now between 40 to 50%. And we'll probably triple the business again this year. You know, we're now national in five, 6,000 doors and, and probably double that by the end of the year. And, you know, I've seen other brands kind of come into what is now being termed this kind of functional soda space. And it's been been fascinating to see because, you know, it was our sort of hypothesis from the beginning that, you know, in terms of changing people's approach to nutrition in terms of getting to switch behavior, which, you know, as a uh, marketing self, you know, a brand owner know like how hard that is. It's, it's really hard to get people to change from one brand of diaper to another, let alone switch their kind of Coke for a kale smoothie. But what Ben's managed to develop here is, is a product that for all intents and purposes tastes like the root beer you grew up with or the nostalgic orange soda you remember from your childhood, but with uh, really high-end nutritional health benefits attached to it. And I think that's what's really kind of captured people's attention is this sort of nostalgia and the flavor profiles. And, you know, what we, what we imagine would be the case, which is that, look, people aren't sick of soda. They love soda. In fact, you know, people have very good memories of drinking root beer when they were younger. It's just, you know, the problem is it has too much sugar in it and it doesn't contribute anything towards your health nutritionally. So if you solve for those two issues without taking anything away from the joy and nostalgia of drinking soda, then you can kind of pull people back into the category and, and get them to consume a product that's actually high in fiber and prebiotics and can support their digestive health rather than, rather than harming their health overall. So you mentioned in that answer that you know you've got five to six thousand doors that you're in today. You know, as you grew away from just a pure D to C business, who are those retailers that you're in, and how did you really secure that kind of mass distribution? Yeah, so you know we're, we're in Whole Foods. We're in, we're in most of the uh, country's doors for Whole Foods. We and we expect expect an expansion nationally this year as well. Fingers crossed. Then we're in all the Sprouts. We're in about a thousand Kroger stores. We expect expansion there as well this year across multiple banners. We're in NorCal Safeway. We're in tons and tons and tons of, of various independents nationally. You know, we did just pick up a, a test, a store test with Target. We're actually picking up a store test with 7-Eleven. So there's a lot of great retailers, both in the natural space and really also starting to prove very solid sales numbers in conventional and then, you know, starting to branch out and test other different channels. You know, it's, it's really like getting a snowball rolling downhill is kind of the, you know, it's always the, the first push is always the hardest, right? I mean, day, when you first, 
you know, luckily it hadn't been our first rodeo, but when we started started the company, I mean, David and I went and met with, you know, very small DSE distributors trying to get, you know, 10 doors open, 30 doors open, 40 doors open. And the effort that it took to do that is probably roughly equivalent to what it takes us to open up, you know, 500 to 1,000 doors today. So, you know, but once the thing is moving, I mean, I think one of the things that you have to, your product has to have is it has to move on its own volition, right? So your product has to resonate with consumers. And if it does do that very naturally, because you've spent a lot of time getting the flavor profile right, the nutritional panel right, the packaging and branding correct, the price point correct, and you're both lucky and insightful about the product you're trying to deliver to consumers, if all that kind of comes together, you've got a good product market fit. And, you know, you can definitely sell the product into retailers on a narrative about the health benefits and, you know, kind of an intellectual position around like, hey, this is how it fits in the set and this is why I'll be competitive. But at the end of the day, strong velocity numbers are what not only gets you expanded in the store, but helps you create a really compelling conversation with future retailers. And, you know, we've been lucky to have that really just kind of ludicrously strong velocities out the gate with this product. I mean, there's a lot of retailers where we actually have to it's like we go through this cycle with them every time. It's like Groundhog's Day because we have to say, hey, you're going to bring this onto the shelf. I know you normally only get, you know, one case of each flavor, two cases of each flavor for new products because you're expecting that the, you know, the consumer adoption is going to happen at X rate. That's not going to happen here. If you only bring in one or two cases, you're going to be out of stock within, you know, two to three days if you're, if you're lucky. And, and some of them get it because we're starting to develop a reputation at this point, but some, some retailers are just like, yeah, what, you know, we'll see. And, and then we go back in the store like two days later and the shelves are totally cleared out. So yeah, actually one of the biggest issues we have is making sure that retailers are bringing in enough product so they can even stay in stock, which is obviously an extremely lucky problem to have. So yeah. talking about that velocity, who do you think your consumer is that's really driving that? Which, yeah, it's, Interesting, you know, this um, vehicle of, of soda as, as a way of, um, you know, getting these nutritional health benefits out to a broad range of people. You know, it's a category with, you know, 97% household penetration on any given day in the U.S. I think 50% of adults drink at least one glass of soda. So, soda really cuts across age, race, gender, you know, in a way that, that few other categories do. And, and you know, that's something that, we're really leaning into now as well. You know, as Ben sort of talked to the velocities there, like a, a big part of that, and we're already outselling on a per unit basis most of the major kombucha brands in the set that we're in. And, you know, when people ask about that, you know, my answer is that there's just simply more soda occasions in a week. And, you know, one of the sort of major lessons that I took out of my, you know, prior career is at, at Diageo doing marketing and innovation was around having occasion built in, not having to educate the consumer around when and, and how to drink it. And for us, sitting on top of soda, consumers know how to drink this. And you end up with a pretty wide range of consumers as well. I mean, we've got people in the Midwest on subscription, you know, elderly people in the Midwest on subscription who, you know, for them, it's a kind of delicious and nostalgic way to get more fiber into their diet. Um, we've got parents with kids that are trying to solve for the fact that 
they don't want their kids to drink soda, but, you know, as a cultural norm, it's a very difficult thing to avoid. I'd say, you know, the center of gravity of the brand certainly started out in the millennial female space as we, you know, uh, used social media platforms like Instagram to build, but we're now seeing the shoulders of the brand really broaden, you know, as we go to, to an extended market. And as I say, the, the sort of consumer pain points that we're solving for stretch across gender and, and uh, generations as well. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So you mentioned the more occasions for soda. You know, how do you think about Olipop setting it apart from some of the other health beverages that you mentioned, you know, like Kombucha and others that have emerged in the last few years? Yeah, I mean, there's actually quite a few things uh, that, that set it apart. I mean, the, the first thing, which honestly I'm pretty happy about is, you know, the fact that the nutri- nutritional approach that we're using is actually scientifically credible. You know, there's very strong research supporting the kind of nutritional intervention, dietary intervention route, and not only for general health, but then specifically for microbiome and digestive health. We, there's you know, regulatory support around it, the FDA, the European Food Safety Authority, which is basically Europe's FDA, both kind of back this strategy, dietitians back this strategy. Um, and then, you know, w- then we as a business have actually taken it to just entirely the next level. We're working with Purdue and the head of their complex carbohydrates division, Stephen Lindemann, who's on our scientific advisory board. We're working with Baylor College of Medicine, Joseph Petrosino, uh, and Robert Britton, who head up their microbiology department. We're actually their microbiology department's only industry partner in the world, to give you a sense of kind of the rarefied academic circles we've been fortunate enough to kind of work our way into. And we've actually just done, we've actually just completed a slate of in vitro research with, with both of those institutions. The data is just starting to trickle back now, but it looks extremely good. So we'll have more information kind of on the specific specifics of that over the next couple of months. And then we're also participating in human clinical trials with one of the top microbiome researchers in the, in the world. So when you do stick us on shelves next to literally almost any other quote, natural functional, quite frankly, product, but you know, it's especially beverage, the actual scientific, the, the real tangible regulatory and scientific credibility very much sit, sits with this product. And, you know, I drink kombucha and I don't have a problem with it, but when you actually review the, the scientific, the like peer-reviewed scientific literature on it, there have been no randomized human clinical trials that have shown that kombucha actually provides health benefits to the consumer kind of full stop. You know, and, it, and, it's, it's, and I think a lot of people have the perception that, oh, this has got to be healthy for me to taste like vinegar. And it might have some health benefits that just haven't been articulated but there's no there's no conclusive proof around it. So I think like that's kind of like a massive anchor for the brand 
and also just for, you know, our, our goal, which is to say, you know, we need to see a shift in the, in the natural product space where it's like, if you're going to go out and say that you have health benefits, you've got to kind of pony up and actually prove it out. And in our case, we're actually looking to take it a step further and actually contribute to the microbiome research and the microbiome kind of field in a way that that's really like uh, really the next level. So I think that's one anchor. And then the other anchor is really kind of empathy and understanding for the, the industrialized consumer. You know, the reality is that most of the food and drink beverage products that are out on the market are, especially in the conventional space, are kind of meticulously designed to be as addictive and neurologically stimulating as is humanly possible. And then they're putting these kind of like fun facing brands and they have marketing campaigns that are all built around like short, you know, short term satisfaction and, and, you know, don't even worry about having impulse control. <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 it's like, if that's what you're out there in the world, if that's what's out in the world available for consumers, then you have to have you have to make a product that can actually compete with that and doesn't go out and say hey you know consu- you know mid- midwest consumer like you're wrong for liking soda or the thing you grew up drinking or the thing that's like addictively delicious like there's a problem with you for liking this you know we kind of take the stance of like we get why people like soda soda's delicious i mean i grew up drinking soda it didn't do many favors. I also grew up overweight, but it, uh, I do understand how many people in this country just kind of are, you know, grow up where that's a natural part of their, a part of their life. So, you know, the kind of intrinsic goal of the product is to take very scientifically credible approaches to nutrition, health, microbiome, and digestive benefits, and then put it into a vehicle that's a little bit of a Trojan horse and has the most kind of like universal appeal and it's being built by people who actually love the way it tastes and want to kind of have that positive life experience as well. So, you know, I think those are kind of like the two main anchors. And then there's a bunch of other strategies in there like brand and pricing and different communication strategies. But I think those are the two anchors that cement the brand. We're coming off a year where health and wellness has taken on a kind of a new meaning, if you will. How did the past year change your guys' business and the approach that you had to going to market? Yeah, it changed it quite dramatically, actually, because, you know, as I mentioned, we, we really didn't have much of a DTC presence in February of 2020. You know, something we were looking at, it's certainly interesting, but, um, you know, for a kind of heavy beverage brand, you know, shipping around, it, it didn't really seem to make much sense as a priority channel. And then of course, everything starts to change from March. And, um, you know, so we, you know, in, in that time frame, really built a, a deep sea business. And, and with that, you know, got more sophisticated in our approach to digital marketing. And so it's actually provided an extremely valuable tool for driving awareness, uh, with consumer, with engaging, you know, and, and driving trial as well, because we weren't able to go into stores and, and do demos in, in the way that we had previously or that was kind of typical for our industry. So instead, all that spend switched to switch to online. And, um, you know, we kind of generated this digital flywheel of, you know, paid social and influencer and podcast that also feeds our own channels of text and um, email. And, you know, we, we actually just, 
launched our orange cream flavor via text last week, you know, just pre-ordered to the, to the text group. And that generates $30,000 of sales in 30 minutes from that group via our D2C platform. So there's been a dramatic shift in that way where we're spending our dollars and the media channels that we're using. You know, and I think in a lot of ways, there's actually been a silver lining from, you know, from the pandemic of the last year. You just mentioned your uh, orange cream launch. You know, it's an exciting kind of new flavor. What's the next year look like for Olipop? And what about the next five years beyond that? Sure. I mean, expansion, right? Like the, the team is expanding quite a bit. The doors are expanding quite a bit. I think our capabilities across the line are expanding. There's going to be more research. There are some some cool product innovations I can't quite talk about yet, but might have quite a big impact. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say, you know, we're kind of fortunate enough that a lot of the stuff that we're doing both internally and externally with the product is is working more or less like near unicorn status. So doubling, tripling down on that, you know, I think that big, big areas that we're looking at are actually things that you might not expect. Like how do we, you know, we, we put a ton of effort, David and I and the leadership team to building like a really world-class culture that really tries to focus on personal development, on psychological awareness, on just kind of growth across the board, psychological safety, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going through a process right now where I'm like, okay, do, how, how else do we kind of build cultural momentum that creates a very, very healthy, uplifting place to work, especially as we grow, you know, we're going from mid thirties people to, we might have nearly 50 by the end of the year. And then you grow past that. And, you know, obviously there's kind of the adage of like, oh, well, the culture changes and gets worse as you grow. And, and I, I'm kind of like, why does it have to, is there a way to kind of buffer against that, you know, that's actually like a big area where I'm putting a ton of, ton of effort. So there's a lot of things that are working extremely well. And I think that our goal is just to kind of continue to invest ahead of the curve every in every single area of the business, which kind of means more of the same, but it's more of the same of things that are, that are working. And, and obviously we can pivot, pivot as needed five-year plans. That's kind of a, that's a bit of a loaded question. I think that, look, there's, there's some kind of like obvious realities to large scale, high volume, low margin CPG, which is, you know, 98% of businesses in this space either go public or they get acquired. I don't really see us going public. So the highest chances are that we'll, we'll end up in the long term going down that acquisition route. But for us, you know, the mission here isn't just to get to some kind of payday. Like if that was the only thing motivating David and I and, and a good portion of the team, I think we would have given up a long time ago because <laughs> being uh, in the kind of beverage CPG circuit is, you know, it's pretty, pretty bruising and you need to have like a, or at least we need to have like a deeper kind of deeper mission to kind of pull from. So, you know, our real goal here is to say, okay, there's a massive, massive, highly successful system that distributes products that are fundamentally undermining to the consumer's health. And there's a, so that's like a problem. We've got a solution. So the next question becomes, all right, well, how are you going to build and roll out that solution? So one of the things that we've been trying to do from the beginning is say like, okay, if the long-term outcome is likely an acquisition, then how do we build a product that can actually properly 
slot into that the system that distributes the quote poison and can actually use that same system to distribute the quote antidote. So a lot of kind of thought process goes into how we're building the business so that by the time it's at the scale where it would make sense to look at something like an acquisition, we're not just getting picked up by the company that's buying us so that their stock price goes up for a week. We actually have to be a real margin accretive business that can actually function and operate at scale, and that has certain dynamics built into the culture, built into the product, built into the supply chain, which kind of minimize the invitation for the acquirer to you know, basically water down the product or water down the company. So that's something we do think about quite a bit, you know, because that is a likely outcome for the business itself. The only other thing I'll add to that as well, Dave, is, um is this disruption of, of soda and, and the soda category. And as I mentioned, Ben and I have been doing this for nearly a decade now where, where people are sort of very skeptical of this idea that you could change people's perception of soda or, or disrupt that category. I mean, it's two of the biggest CPG brands in the world, you know, leading it. And, you know, the traction that we've had certainly in this last year has started to build some momentum around the idea that, then maybe you can reframe soda. Um, what if in the next five to 10 years, people start to think of soda as, as something that's still delicious, refreshing, you know, about human connection. Um, it's nostalgic, but instead of 40 grams of sugar, it has two to five. And instead of harming your health, it actually supports it. Certainly what we can expect to see from us over the next five years is, is us leaning into the category more through, you know, format and channel innovation, through launching new, nostalgic flavors as well. And yeah, reframing people's perception. I mean, you know, soda used to be sold in the pharmacy channel and, and it was more of a medicinal product. And, and over the years, it, it developed into something else. So it was just, you know, kind of flavored water with sugar in it. And um, so the idea that, you know, it might change again, I think isn't, you know, isn't so unbelievable. Perfect. Well, I think that is a wonderful point to kind of end on. So I love that you guys are challenging the industry and really appreciate you taking time to sit down and have the conversation. Yeah, our pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us on. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.